Welcome to Leadership Conversations, a podcast by the Sustainability Board Report. Join us as we engage in conversations with business and civil society leaders, educators and advisors discussing the role of sustainable leadership in today's world. The Sustainability Board Report is an independent, not-for-profit project. We aim to showcase different dimensions of sustainable business leadership and corporate governance. We publish reports to help individual leaders, organizations and investors to understand the changing landscape of environmental, social and governance factors. Welcome to this week's episode of Leadership Conversations. I'm Frederick Otto, founder and business advisor of the Sustainability Board Report. And I'm here with Helena Gudjonsdottir, the project manager of TSBR. Today we feature Joe Kenner, the CEO and president of Grayston Bakery and Foundation. And Helena, I think it's worth telling our listeners how we got to know Joe. Yeah, absolutely. So Joe was actually brought up by Hatla Tomasdottir, the CEO of the B team, if some of the listeners maybe remember from the first episode. We were speaking with Hatla about, you know, stories or companies, leaders that really inspire her. And she mentioned the, you know, Grayston Bakery as a company that's doing something amazing that others should really pay attention to and could inspire other leaders, other companies. So it's a fantastic opportunity that we get to speak with them today. What was your favorite piece that Joe said? I mean, besides a very fascinating sort of journey that he has gone through from his role in corporate America to Grayston now, I enjoyed, you know, stories that he told us, for example, how they created the Ben and Jerry's chocolate fudge brownie ice cream just by accident. I really like that, you know, the th sort of thread throughout the conversation is really centered around people. So when our listeners hear the conversation, they will realize that that Everything that Joe and Grayston sort of stand for is centered around their employees, the communities they operate in. Yeah, and I think it is fair to say, although most people might not have heard of Grayston before, especially if they are not based in the United States, most will have had their products. And uh, Joe is also sharing with us how the founder of Grayston met with the Ben and Jerry founders and how they established their relationship. And just that spirit of social inclusion has always been a, a threat throughout both of these companies. And of course, Joe also shares the concept of open hiring, which is this trailblazing, game-changing way of providing economic opportunity to underserved and underprivileged communities. But let's hear from Joe directly in our latest leadership conversation. On today's episode of Leadership Conversations, we welcome Joe Kenner, the president and CEO of Grayston. Grayston is one of the most well-known social enterprises in the United States and has delivered millions of dollars in economic impact through job placements and expanded employer and service provider relationships. Joe also serves on the board of directors of Conscious Capitalism, the Mid-Hudson Regional Economic Development Council, the New York City Workforce Investment Board, the B team, and he is an advisory council member of the REDF Impact Investing Fund. Joe, thanks for joining us today. It's a great pleasure speaking to you. Thank you for having me, Frederick. Pleasure to be with you. Joe, for those people who don't know you yet, could you tell us a little bit more about your personal background, your leadership journey, and how you came to Grayston? Oh boy, that is a long story. Do we have the time to talk about it? Uh, well, just to give a quick overview of just how I got to Grayston and just my career journey in general, it, it wasn't a linear journey. So if you, if you look at my first job, 
out of college to where I am now, you, it's hard to connect the dots. But uh, you know, I spent about 14 years ex- uh, experience in corporate America, Wall Street. I started, actually, Frederick, as a financial institution's underwriter um, right out of college, uh, moved into insurance risk management uh, for an investment bank uh, some might know Lehman Brothers and uh, their unfortunate demise in 2008, uh, but I was there from 2000, actually 1999 to 2001. Um, after that, I joined PepsiCo and was there for almost 10 years uh, in sales strategy, um, risk management, as well as capital markets, and uh, left corporate altogether around 2010 and went into government. And I was both an elected office and appointed office uh, working in county government. I served on my local, I guess you would call it town council, uh, but it was a village board. So we were called trustees uh, in the village of Port Chester, New York, and uh, served my county executive as a senior advisor. And then as a deputy commissioner for social services for all of Westchester County, um, which is actually how I got connected to Grayston. Grayston, that journey is just, I still kind of pitch myself today to think about how I got here, but I met my predecessor um, in the CEO role in around 2016, 2017. I was managing a conference, running a conference with a group of uh, practitioners in the social services space, particularly working with fathers, um, fathers with employment barriers who are on public assistance, possibly formerly incarcerated or some type of employment barrier. And we did a conference every year on how to instruct other practitioners in working with this particular population. And Mike Brady was our keynote speaker for 2017, I believe it was. It was the following year where I asked Mike to bring some of his team back to do a workshop. And it was then that he mentioned that he had an open position for vice president of programs and partnerships. And and I'm always transparent about this. I didn't know what that meant. Frederick, I had no idea what a vice president program and partnerships did. And so I looked at the job description online and showed it to my wife. And she said, you know, you could do this. And I said, you are absolutely right, because they wanted someone with a financial background, social services background, business experience, connections to government and, you know, local governments and things like that. And I never, never dreamed that I could work for an organization like Grayston um, that I got familiar with through Mike Brady. And it to, to me, the the model of open hiring and making brownies and all of this stuff, I just couldn't believe that this actually existed. So I, you know, the rest you know, they say is history. I started in 2018 as the vice president of programs and partnerships, and uh, consequently, if in, in the future, two years later, was appointed president and CEO uh, after Mike's departure in 2020 of April. 2020, by the way. So it was an interesting time to become a first-time CEO uh, without a leadership playbook for what I was about to get into. But I have enjoyed the experience. It's been almost two years now as CEO, and I, I, I cannot imagine writing a better job description for myself now. That sounds amazing. And I can imagine that um, some listeners have their heads spin right now. We heard Lehman Brothers, Brownies, open hiring, social <laughs> enterprise. So tell us a little bit more what Grayson exactly is and the approach of the company. Yeah, you really have to start, Frederick, with our founder, Bernie Glassman, who is just an interesting, was an interesting character. He actually passed away the fall, winter fall of my uh, 2018. So I was here, but unfortunately, I never got a chance to meet Bernie. 
but I've read his book, Instructions to the Cook, when I first started, and it kind of just gives you, it's a book that I actually give to our employees, all our new employees to this day, because it gives the DNA of Grayston. It tells the story of just the why of Grayston. And what's interesting about the company is that, you know, most companies, you know, whether it's, you know, Airbnb, start with this revolutionizing, disrupting service or, you know, a great product that you're bringing to market that the public just has to get a hold of. Like, you know, think of an Apple iPhone or an Apple Watch. But Grayston started with an on an idea. And his idea was how do we create thriving communities? How do we bring people who are on the fringes of our society into the workforce? and into society in the mainstream. And he saw a job as being that tool. So if you think about Bernie and thinking about the 80s, Bernie was this you know, Jewish guy from Brooklyn who was you know, trained as an aeronautical engineer of all things, but became a Zen Buddhist monk and then a social entrepreneur. <laughs> so it was this belief, motivated by his Zen Buddhist beliefs, was... You know, you use all the ingredients in a society. And when we're not using all the ingredients, all the people, all the talents, all the gifts in society, we're losing uh, because you have something to contribute. I have something to contribute. And if you think about the early 80s, that, that was a time when the economy was struggling. Uh, people in general were struggling. Uh, high unemployment, high inflation, homelessness. At that time, AIDS was rampant. So there was just a lot of hopelessness, particularly in this area where we are in New York. Um, we're just above New York City. Uh, so Bertie and this team of uh, Zen Buddhist folks, they were living in the Riverdale section of the Bronx and living in the Grayston Mansion, which is how we got our name. Uh, supporting themselves baking cakes. And Bernie saw the homelessness in the area as a challenge and really just a grave injustice because he found as they spent time with folks, and that was kind of Bernie's philosophy, you retreat into a community so you get to know the folks in that community. And he found, you know, there were folks that wanted to work, but for whatever reason, were blocked from doing so, whether they were formally incarcerated, whether they were homeless on public assistance. There was some barrier that kept them from working. And he would literally pull people off the streets and say, hey, do you want to learn a skill? Do you want to learn a trade? And he would have folks helping this Zen Buddhist community making cakes. That was the genesis of open hiring. Bernie literally pulling folks off the streets, pulling them into a community, into an organization to learn a trade. And that is something that we have been practicing really to this day. This is this year is actually our 40th anniversary of being in business. Uh, we've been refining the model ever since in terms of how do we bring people off the fringes and into the workforce. And we believe it's through inclusive employment, leading with our open hiring model, and we do it one person at a time. Fantastic. So the the brownies are really only there to provide employment, one, one could say, right? It, it's a means to an end, but even that story, you see, there's a little bit of serendipity there because uh, Bernie met Ben Cohen and Jerry Greenfield uh, at a social venture uh, conference probably in the early 1986, 87, circa around that time. And the two were trying to figure out how to, how can we, or the three, we're trying to figure out how can we work together? You know, we make ice cream, you're making these cakes. Perhaps you can um, support us in our business. And they agreed to make, you know, we would partner with the whoopie pies. So, the, you know, the vanilla ice cream with the chocolate cookie sandwich, we would make that product for them. 
we had never done that before. <laughs> we had we did not have the equipment to do it. Bernie invested everything into making that happen. We, we shipped the product to Vermont. It doesn't survive the shipping process. So instead of you know receiving cookies, you receive just this big slab of chocolate stuff, and folks didn't know what to do with it. Uh, so someone at the plant in Vermont, I wish I knew who it was, but uh, just said, you know, what would happen if we put this in chocolate ice cream? And that is how Chocolate Fudge Brownie was born <laughs> with Ben and Jerry's. Um, and, you know, a few years later, we in several flavors now, Chocolate Fudge Brownie, Half-Baked, Brownie Batter Core, Netflix and Chill, Justice Remix, and we just came out with uh, Mint Chocolate Chance. It just blossomed. You had two organizations that were very much mission-driven, very much focused on business being a force for good and using that power, using that leverage to elevate humanity while at the same time providing an amazing product that the public enjoys. Great. And uh, Joel, I told you in the pre-briefing to our conversation that my background is organizational consulting and human capital management originally. So I'm really interested how does open hiring work operationally? What, yes. what is the, you know, I think you just sign up and then no interview. Take us through how it all works and what the impact is that you have with this. Yes, it's simple process yet profound is how I like to describe it. And you, you kind of described it already. You've simply put your name on a list and it's a one pager form where you just fill out your name, address, contact information. Just so you know, Grayston Bakery is owned by Grayston Foundation, which is a nonprofit. So we have employment training available to the residents here in Yonkers, as well as our bakers. But um, you can check off if you are interested in other trainings, you can sign up for those as well if you'd like, because there is a waiting list. We have about 180 folks on our waiting list right now. But uh, that's it. Put your name on the list. And you know, usually three to six months after you've put your name on the list, you'll get a call uh, saying, Frederick, um, you put your name on the list a while back. Are you still interested? If you say yes, the day you report for orientation is your day, first day on the job. It's your first day getting access to benefits. You're getting paid that day. It begins a journey, what we call a bakery apprenticeship. And that can last, you know, anywhere from six to nine months where you actually graduate, you become a line worker. And throughout that entire time, we're training you. You're learning the job on the job. You're learning what it's like to be on the line. You're learning about the future, which is our vision for 2030, is how do we continue to pour into our employees and develop them and whether they want to move up within the bakery or move out to something else, how do we support that journey? Because we believe and strongly believe this, that a lot of the folks that we work with have one or more barriers to employment. We've actually surveyed folks, and the, the, barriers, the, the barriers are varied, whether it's age, whether it's formerly incarcerated, single parenthood, just trying to find a job that lines up with uh, their childcare schedules or homelessness. We've had those issues, but there was a barrier that kept them from working. And if we can support them in uh, working through those barriers and alleviating those barriers, that's in our best interest. Uh, and we found that, you know, as you invest in employees, they will be loyal to you. And we've seen this not just at Greaston Bakery, but with our other partners. They're loyal to you because when other companies said no to them, Greaston said yes. And you not only change that person's life, but the family that's connected to them, the community that they live in, there is this ripple effect that happens when you just employ <laughs> one person. And can you think of a particular story of an <clears throat> individual, what their journey was? 
anything that comes to mind of, of a person who's been there for a long time or yeah. through serendipity or, you know, came to this job? Yeah, I, I would I would ask your, your listeners to just Google Grayston and Wide Open Dreams. It's uh, an amazing documentary that was put together by our local uh, Westchester Community College uh, students, film students. And it tells the story of three of our employees. But the focus, and they all had different barriers to employment, Frederick. So one was a single mom. Another one was a formerly incarcerated person. Another one, English as a second language. And Again, we have to think broadly about barriers. Uh, but the focus was on one of our employees who's still with us. Um, her name is Shauna. And Shauna is a mother of five. And, and one of the kids, one of her kids actually has some challenges. But she's a mother of five who, for whatever reason, could not get a job. And she tells the story in the documentary, you know, didn't have enough experience, didn't have the right education. She even says, I wasn't male enough. <laughs> and so all of these different barriers. But she was struggling to take care of her children, all five of them, to the point where she was considering giving them up. And literally to the day where she was about to make that decision, she got the call from Grayston and asked her to re if she was still interested, and get this, interested in coming in for the PM shift, which worked with her childcare schedule, literally changed the whole trajectory of her family. Um, and to this day, she can't talk about it without, you know, getting choked up because she has all her kids to this day. And not only that, you know, she's in our training program to be promoted and has been with us now. I guess she's probably going into her fourth year with Grayston. But Shauna's one of many folks. I mean, we at any given time, we have about 70 open hires in our, at our bakery. But there are hundreds of stories over the years and you'll see in the documentary where you're talking to Alvin, you're talking to other folks within our organization who tell their story, how Grayson has changed, literally changed their life for the better. And it's just made the, the future hopeful. It's changed the trajectory of them personally, but really their families and the communities that they live in. And you can look at it as, you know, the social service type of um, economic adrenaline, which is how I look at it. It's, it's economic development. It's, it's really changing the landscape and it's really changing the playbook to me in terms of leadership when it comes to, and you'll be interested in this, is talent management, human capital management. How do we look at the particularly in this environment? I hope we get into this where there's this so-called labor shortage and companies are having challenges finding people. This is truly a disrupting force that can help us get people that are committed, that want to work, and will dedicate themselves to you if only given the opportunity, not the promise, but the opportunity to work. And if they're successful, you're successful. Uh, it's a win-win for, I would say, the employee and the employer, but really for society. Joe, I think this is a fantastic operating model that you have. And we talk a lot about how sustainability and inclusive capitalism needs to be part of the core business strategy, right? It shouldn't be sitting in CSR and philanthropy and maybe some, you know, siloed HR initiatives or so. And I think this is really putting your money where your mouth is, right? It's saying, look, we, we make this part of what our business strategy is, hiring that way. Now, let me be a little bit provocative. And I can imagine some corporate <laughs> CEO or corporate leader is listening to this now and says, this all sounds great, but surely 
every second or third time this goes horribly, horribly wrong. I know you're not doing background checks and so on. If you'd be to implement that, if a, if a different corporation would be looking at that saying, we want to be like Grace and we want to do something like that. What, what is the margin of error that you have to think about? This is where, you know, and I think this is our bias when we think that, oh yeah, open hiring doesn't, you don't have background checks. You don't do interviews. You know, how can you let quote unquote, these people into your organization? But if it's truly a human capital management strategy, if it's truly talent management strategy, it's part of your business model, you invest in it like you would anything else. And you are talking about human resources. And I believe this is truly an evolution of human resources. So it goes back to organizational health, right? What do my employees need? And we saw that during the, you know, at the height of the COVID crisis, do they feel safe? You know, folks began and now we're going, you know, to me, it's not the great resignation. It's the great reassessment where you have, you know, employees kind of reassessing, you know, do I really want to work for this company? What's my future? What's the trajectory for my career in this company? All of these different things. Employees are asking these questions. And as business leaders, we better be asking these questions. How do, what does learning and development look like? What are the other things and experiences, trainings that my employees need to be successful? Clearly, we're bringing in folks that many do not have work experience. So this is where we refine the model over time, and we're going to continue to refine open hiring. We invest in a social services uh, representative who sits at our bakery, and that person works with, to me, it's just another employee benefit, working with our team and really anybody. I mean, if you were working here, you could work with our social services rep. We call it a resource specialist. All of other things that you probably wouldn't, a traditional HR person wouldn't deal with, anger management, maybe it's substance abuse, maybe it's transportation, housing, all of these other things that would keep you from being productive, from attending, or just not bringing your full self to work. How do we work through those issues so that when you come here, you can be productive, you can be successful? We invest in those things. We want to invest in training. We want to invest in career pathing. Uh, but it's really understanding the unique circumstances that your employees are in. And that's, you know, in most companies, and I, I know I've, we've gone through this when I was in corporate America, you do an org health survey, figure out what do folks need <laughs> and invest in those things. So to me, it's no different than anything else. Clearly, I'm not going to be naive here. It's a revolutionary concept, right? <laughs> You're not asking questions. You're not doing background checks. I get that. But just like you would with any other human resources strategy, what are the things my employees need? And you invest in it. And you invest in it because you want the organization to be successful. But your organization can't be successful unless your people are. Right. And I think talking about all the various stakeholders that a company has, this is the ultimate community stakeholder, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Great. Joe, what is your vision for the next 10 years? What do you have in the pipeline? Where do you see Greystone going? Yeah. So the, and this is the beauty of working here. And we didn't, we touched on it a little bit. You know, we said we're a social enterprise, but we're actually a benefit corporation. And so Grayston, we are governed by the triple bottom line of people, planet, and profit. So we operate from that standpoint, from what, I, what is our impact on each of those areas. Um, we're actually a certified B Corp and, you know, actually one of the, the best top 5% of, of the B Corp certified worldwide. So we're very proud of that. So I would say the next 10 years, we actually have a 2030 vision. When I came, became CEO in 2020, we 
got together as an executive team, as well as our two boards. So this is the Greystone Bakery Board and the Greystone Foundation Board. And we started to lay out where we wanted to take this organization over the next 10 years and ask the question, similar to what you're saying, in 2030, what will people say about Greystone? And for us, the f- three things rose to the top. And number one, we want to be known as the champion of conscious capitalism. I'm on their board, uh, stakeholder capitalism. We want to, we want the world to know, like when they think of business as a force for good, Greystone should be the first company that comes to mind. We want to be that recognized leader in that area to show how you know business can be salt and light in their community, salt, you know kind of taking care of the decay and and eradicating the decay that's happening economically, socially, all of that, and illuminating, like, there is great talent out there if you would just look for it. And I'll get to that in a minute. Secondly, we wanted to show that, you know, and demonstrate that we are the recognized leader and innovator in inclusive employment, leading with the open hiring model. Absolutely. And we are working with partners, whether it's the body shop and smaller companies, but really, trying to tackle the third vision that we want for ourselves, and that is to create $3 billion of impact by 2030 by opening up opportunities through our open hiring model with other companies. Because here's the key piece, Frederick, about 10 million and other figures as high as 19 million folks that are out there with barriers to employment that have left the labor force. So they're not even being counted in the unemployment numbers. That is lost economic opportunity. That's lost economic development. We want to bring those folks with one or more barriers into the workforce by giving them opportunities through open hiring. It's not creating new jobs, but it's opening up those jobs that were get provided traditionally through interviews and whatever barriers that were set up, but tearing down those barriers. And that $3 billion of impact, that's less than 1% of the 10 million that's out there. So just think if we could get all the multinational companies and all the other companies out there that could do this, how much more could we provide in terms of economic impact through open hiring? We're talking 40,000 jobs by 2030. Can we do that? Less than 1% impact uh, by 2030. Can we do that as, as a society? Because that means people are getting employed. That means that families are being taken care of. Communities are being transformed. And... We're growing as an economy. Uh, that's a that's GDP impact. That's you know community redevelopment. In some cases, I mean, we're in a pretty economically challenged area here in Yonkers. But what's the ripple effect if we could give forty thousand jobs to those folks who are currently on the fringes? Those that's our vision for twenty thirty. That's a great ambition, and that building coalition is so important as well to make that happen, right? To scale that up. So. Kudos to you for your leadership. Excellent. I could carry on talking to you for much longer, (laughs) Joe, but I still want to have the opportunity to ask you two questions, which we always ask in in this podcast. And uh, (laughs) the first question is, what is your favorite story of a particular leader or a leadership moment that you encountered that had a big impact on yourself or society at large? And before you answer that, Halak Thomas Dottier, the CEO of the B team, (laughs) who featured in one of our episodes last year, she mentioned you and your company. So you don't have to return the favor, but we're curious to hear <laughs> who is your person. Oh boy, my, the one person that, you know, what's great about being on the B team is I, I am surrounded by people who are 
just doing some amazing things with much at a much larger uh, scale, like whether you're thinking of Unilever, whether you're thinking about PepsiCo, I mean, all of these amazing companies that are former CEOs that are represented there. I'm humbled to be a part of that. But, you know, it's not so much a leader that I'm thinking of right now, but I'm truly thinking of just a, a concept or an idea or, or, or maybe just a leadership playbook tip that I would give to folks, particularly as I became a first-time CEO at the height of a worldwide pandemic, the one thing that stands out to me is the importance of your team, the importance of who you have on the bus, you know, the proverbial bus, if you will, that they're your ability to kind of deal with the uncertainty, the anxiety, the fear, and, and overcome it as a leader and leading folks who are going through all of those things that didn't and you have to remember, you know, now we're dealing with Omicron where you just you know, get sick and it's like the flu. We were at a point where you could die. This could shut down our entire organization. And that was a tough time, but I learned the lesson of having a steady hand um, and being a stable leader, even though I was going through all of those same uh, features. But it taught me that I need other folks to be on this team to reinforce that, to lead the team with me through a trying time, a trying period. And it shows something uh, that, you know, maybe that we don't talk about a lot in leadership is being that steady hand, that stable force in the midst of crisis. And it, tr it truly was, if there was ever a crisis that a leader would have to deal with, this was one. And we're still going through it now. And I see how important leadership is to that. So that would be my big takeaway from these last two years is just, you know, the team and how you build out a team. Excellent. And you um, also answered my second question, which would have been, what is your one advice to leaders? So <laughs> thanks for that. We've packaged that in, in one answer. Joel, thanks ever so much for your time. It was a great conversation. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership Conversations. To follow our work and learn more about our reports, please check out our website, boardreport.org, and sign up to our newsletter. You can also find us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Details can be found in the podcast description.